you have to imagine crazy things in order to take the next steps. It all begins with imagination. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. We could call this show Mornings with Matt. But well, that's but if you're not listening kind in the of morning. Kind of a terrifying prospect, actually. <laughs> yeah, mornings. And then I thought, well, it could be Mornings with Matt and Philip. But yeah. that's not a lot of alliteration. And then I thought, well, it could be Mornings with me and Matt. Matt and me. Anyway. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. This is how the brain... But then you'd be the only person who could say the title. That's right. That's called job security. <laughs> I'm, now, <laughs> I'm now sipping coffee because it's morning. Mm. So, yeah. So, I was at... Um, as we were talking about before the show, I visited Cornell this weekend. Cornell University, upstate New York. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Although I got to tell you, it's funny. So they have this beautiful bus service, like a really fancy bus. I don't know if you've ever taken it. It's really nice. Right. Anyway, so I took the bus mm-hmm. up there. I was excited. I figured it would be just a gorgeous place. I didn't really know exactly what to envision. I'd seen some pictures on the internet, you know, looked nice. But anyway, we're driving, driving, driving. We finally arrive at the campus and <laughs> they come in like the back, <laughs> the back of the campus. So the first thing you see, mm-hmm. uh, you come out of the woods, uh, kind of, and you see enormous smokestacks. <laughs> it's just like, oh right, industry. Yeah. And then the very first thing that the bus passes is this mm-hmm. huge hospital for horses. So that was, kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> but then I I stayed. There's a campus. Uh, there's a hotel on campus, the Statler, which is very nice. Which is it is fun- nice. Yeah. Oh, have you stayed there? I have, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. And it's like all run by students because they're all in training. Right, exactly, because Cornell has everything. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, when I went up to my room, the room faced the view, which is looking out over the valley. Very beautiful. Very nice. And as we've talked before, of course, as you know, I'm a Carl Sagan fanatic. So I was very excited Naturally. to go up there. I had very little time because I was there filming uh, for a documentary. So I didn't get to see his house or anything, but I did want to walk by the Space Sciences building, which seemed like that was where he was, Ah, I'm guessing. And the funny thing about that was Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it looked like. I hadn't looked up a picture of it, but I had my Google map as I'm walking through the campus and passing all these buildings. And I'm trying to guess which one is it. And like I saw this super futuristic, like silver, you know, metal colored, shiny building. And I was like, oh, that's got to be it. So I walk over to it and that it was a science building as uh, the impression it gave, Mm -hmm. but it was for nanotechnology. So then I finally made my way over to the space sciences building. And it's just like this little, where Carl Sagan taught, it's this little humble Oh, I mean, it's probably about 10 or 15 stories, but it's just like this boring, it's probably the most boring building on campus. 
next to the horse hospital. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. I went, I guess also when he was there, it wasn't, but that's often deal. the case. Yeah. Uh, that's right. He wasn't famous yet. Right. So why make a fancy place? Right. But generally I think science, science buildings are often underwhelming. Like if you go to Cambridge, England and you find Hawking's Institute, it's in this back alley. Well, I'm kind of all of Cambridge's back alleys, but it's tucked in this back corner and it's totally unassuming little brick building. You'd never notice it was anything interesting. Yeah. Do you think that's because of that says something about the scientists or the architects? I don't know. It's funny that, you know, there's actually a long tradition of scientists taking the architecture of their buildings very seriously, but it's not always in ways that's noticeable to other people, I guess. So again, like the Cavendish Laboratory, again, in Cambridge, was was designed and built by Maxwell of Maxwell's Equations. And Maxwell put this unbelievable amount of work into it. He was sort of an amateur architect. He was an amateur everything, but cool. he was an amateur architect. So he spent a lot of time designing the building to be just so, uh, so that it would be like the perfect place to teach experimental science. But from the outside, it's this dumpy little place, right? You'd never, you'd never know it was an, an interesting place where, you know, some of the most extraordinary discoveries in human history were made. But then on the other end of the spectrum, Fermilab was designed largely by uh, Bob Wilson, the particle physicist, who was also a sculptor. So he really cared about these things. So Fermilab is beautiful and has these magnificent sculptures that are physics-themed that kind of welcome you there and really kind of set the atmosphere. Oh, that's really cool. So you were saying Maxwell at Cambridge... Is it that mm-hmm. when you said he he put a lot into the architecture? You mean just to make it useful for for science, or there's details on the inside? That's that's right. Yeah. So things things that now we take totally for granted, like making sure there is electrical wiring available at every station. That's a totally radical idea. The 1870s. Yeah. Wow. Electrical uh, wiring like, yeah, in the sound, 1870s. Sound insulation. Yeah, that was still pretty exotic. Right. In fact, make regular or, uh, electricity uh, doesn't come around until, in my mind, like the turn of the century, 1900, that cities get electricity? It's, oh, it's still pretty exotic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's, um, there's wiring before then, but it's not on a large scale public utility model. It's sort of a private subscription model. So like originally you subscribed to Thomas Edison's Pearl Street plant. What is that? And his friends would come by and set up wire and things. Oh, I see. I see. At Fermilab, isn't Fermilab, is that the one that has the building that lo- looks like uh, it slopes? It's like a um, tall building that kind of spreads out at the bottom, curves out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, looks kind of like a Gaussian curve. Yeah. Oh, a Gaussian curve. I was going to say like something at Disneyland, but yes, in Tomorrowland. No. <laughs> that's one, the more cheerful version. Yeah. yeah, one time I was flying over it and I saw I looked out the window. I wasn't even looking for it and I was just like, "Oh, there's that." And you could see the whole circle of the what do you call it? The the uh, particle accelerator. That was pretty cool. So, oh, it's awesome. Love yeah. to have seen that. Yeah, and good. Of course, um, you know it's yeah, one Bob, of the, Bob Wilson designed a lot of that. 
really interesting character. He uh, uh, famously is testifying before Congress to get the money to Fermilab. And, you know, this is sort of the, one of the largest labs ever built at the time. So the, the Congressional Committee asks him, uh, how will this project benefit national defense? Because that had been the sort of standard agreement between physicists and the government, right? So we give you lots of money, you build us cool bombs. So this was a totally standard question. And and Wilson, instead of saying, well, it'll help with, you know, uh, energy production and blah, blah, blah. Uh, he says, this will help national defense because this makes this country worth defending. Whoa. And the justification... It's amazing. He re- he refuses to give the standard kind of military industrial complex answer. Instead, he says, this is one of the great achievements of human civilization. It's like medieval cathedrals. And th- th- it's uh, we should value this based on its aesthetic beauty and its intellectual significance, not because it'll help us build better tanks down the line. And did that work? I guess it worked. They funded it. It's there. Amazingly, it did, yeah. But you could, you could you can imagine the sort of collective intake of breath of every physicist in the country. Like, oh no, <laughs> it's not gonna. But he did push it through. That's funny. You know, it's said that that architects themselves, even some of the very famous ones, often have really boring houses. Mies van der Rohe. Who, oh yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, he lived in a mm-hmm, sure. Built all the like the you know all these magnificent glass skyscrapers. Lived in apparently this very boring, somewhat traditional, probably minimalist, but a somewhat traditional apartment. It had to be minimalist because he's the one who said mm-hmm. less is more. And there we go. Yeah, so, sorry, less, I was losing the audio there. No, that was that. good. Right, less audio. Less, <laughs> less audio uh, is more. Is more. Is more visual. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. See, we're having, we're having a little. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's one of these things where mm-hmm. today Skype we're going to pretend that you, we we are on opposite planets. I am on Europa, opposite sides of the Atlantic, opposite oh, sides okay. of the right. solar so we've system. Got a uh, time delay of several minutes. Yep. Yeah, I guess it's more appropriate. It's a, uh, it's a slight okay. delay, so it's it, this. I wonder if this would probably be enough of a. This is probably more like the distance to the moon, right? Like three seconds off. A couple of seconds. Yeah, that's probably about right. Which I should say is just enough to mess with you. Right. Right? Right. Because if you know it's a five-minute delay, you don't even expect to hear back. You just treat it like a letter, right? You say a bunch of stuff, and then you wait, and then you say a bunch of stuff, and you wait. But three seconds is just enough to screw you up. Yes. Over. Are we reading? Over. Right? <laughs> That's what we have to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, if you imagine uh, driving down the road and all the information you had of the cars around you was delayed by three seconds. Whoa. How crazy would that be, right? Well, you wouldn't be going down the road very long. Well, you'd have to totally, you'd have to think about everything totally differently in terms of planning things out, right? You'd, you'd know you could, you would need at least twice your time delay to make any meaningful correction. So you'd want to have, you know, several seconds distance between you and every other car. Yeah. Oh, this is a great idea, actually. That yeah, we should insert delays. Or yeah, if if the physical, if the human uh, senses were slower, as they must be, for right? Maybe certain animals, maybe a turtle. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You would. I don't have, know. It would be a completely different world. Ooh, I'd love to imagine a world 
where there's time delay even between, you know, people. Let's forget the animals. Let's say they've got it all figured out. But for some reason, the people are okay. time delayed. I'll just quickly justify that by saying there were people, they invented robots, everybody died, the robots remained, and it's now a long, the robots have been around a long time, they don't have a lot of maintenance, but the thing is, everything works perfectly, except there's this slight delay. So it looks completely like people, but there's a okay, slight I'll delay. Okay, I'll buy it. All right, it's just, a, that's going on. They, they won't give you that information until they do the prequel 35 years later. So it just looks like people who can't talk to each other. <laughs> well, you know, that actually might be a... Okay, all right. So what we got? All right, so we got the, we got the robots people with a time delay. Yeah, they're just, they're, we'll just call them people. Okay, so we, so at so the very pe- least, con- the conversation at least takes a very long time. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the... Uh, so would it be like communicating by text? Right, you've got that few second delay. Yeah. Exa- okay. So here's something interesting. You can see the people. Like, what's weird? What's weird about doing this on Skype? Even though we're we're doing the show only for audio, but uh, we are on video Skype as well, so we can see each other. Mm-hmm. And you could. See, so it's like sure. it's Sky, it, It's it's Planet Skype. And on Planet Skype, you can see people, mm-hmm. but the uh, sound. This is it's like a very dense air, a very dense uh, fluid or something they live in. It's invisible. It looks completely like Earth, just so we can imagine it. But, okay. But when they talk, it okay. takes a long time for the sound to go. The light goes much more quickly. So that, oh, that's sure. just it. Right. So, so you have the most awkward conversations, the, the worst date. I mean, basically, this planet is only going to last one generation because nobody can go on a date. Because it's just super awkward. Oh, well, that's a good point, actually. That would be super awkward. Uh, yeah, even interacting with objects would be weird. Like uh, trying to eat a meal because <laughs> you couldn't, you know, you'd have to make sure your head stays exactly in the same spot for the time it takes to reach to the plate and bring the food to your mouth, right? Because you, you move a little bit. And all of a sudden, your mouth is in a different spot than you expected it to be. Yes, this would be so right. Several okay, seconds so, so right. So we'll go with the idea that okay, let yeah, let's do that. Light and sound both move slowly. Yeah, it's it's more like time dilation. Time dilation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but for the people, so here's a question: for the people themselves, does it all seems normal to them? Right. So they they've grown up in this world. Right, they're used to it, but oh, what would that be? That'd be so weird. I've never, uh, uh, I've never seen this science fiction idea. Someone's probably done it, but that you have, you, it's, it, would this be a place with extreme gravity? Would that cause enough of a time dilation between your eyes and like, be, like a uh, one foot away is is still a time dilation? Oh, I see what you mean. So. We've got to figure out how much level of hand-waving we want to do. So it's probably true that on a neutron star, there would be enough difference of time dilation between your head and your feet that you would notice it. But that's assuming you're not just crushed, right? Right. But you were born there, so you're, you know... So so we assume you're wearing an... 
I was born there. Okay, so no big yeah. deal. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a short story by Larry Niven, if I remember right, about critters evolve on a neutron star, and they're essentially two dimensional because uh-huh. the gravity is so intense. Right. Uh, but okay, so all right, so let's imagine. Yes. Yeah, so so you and I live on a neutron star. So time passes faster, relatively speaking, at my head than from my feet. So. My hair grows faster on my head than on my legs. Whoa. Okay, so just before we lose some of the audience, because I know most, most yeah. of the people out there are brilliant. This, is just not, this has nothing to do with brilliance. This mm-hmm. is simply, you just will give you some information. What are we talking about? Time dilation. Einstein showed sure. that, that when you feel gravity more strongly, time is also passing more slowly. So if you're in uh, right. some, something in a place with less gravity, basically gravity slows down time. That isn't exactly how it works, but that's the effect. So that's what space yeah. time, space time. So yes, on the Earth, if you had, uh, if you look at a, even a skyscraper, at the at ground level, you feel gravity more strongly than you do as you go up. Obviously, by the time you get to the space station or something like that, you don't feel gravity as much. So at the top of the skyscraper, people are, time moves more quickly at the top of the skyscraper than it does at the bottom of the skyscraper. That could be measured. That's correct. Right. So people at the top of the skyscraper. So the effect is tiny, tiny, but you can measure it. Right. So people at the top, the... uh, That's right. And in fact, they're aging very, somewhat slower, right? So this kind of, we kind of did this experiment already, you know, with, we've got a, uh, one of the astronauts does up in the International Space Station has an identical twin. Right. So right. since he was further out of Earth's gravitational field, he is technically slightly younger uh, than his brother. Right, 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 right. So on this planet, your head, <laughs> this is very weird. I mean, we're, we're the, okay, so the one hand-waving thing we're going to do is that, let's imagine you can, f- for some ridiculous reason, you can stand. So, you know, you're, you're a normal right. shape. Right human on maybe it's not a neutron star it's just you, you're in a uh, i don't know whatever i'm wearing an iron man suit or something yeah or if we were actually just near a black hole i guess either way the gravity if if your head if there's enough of a gravity difference between your head and your feet yeah. you'd really be in a bad place basically your feet this is the spaghettification yeah, ex- precisely right. Yeah, that is the technical term, actually. Is uh, if, if the pull is so much stronger on one part of your body than the other, then you get stretched out like spaghetti and ripped apart. As you go into a black hole. Okay, so here's yeah. what it is. It's a planet. It's an Earth-like, well, something. It's people that are just beginning to feel spaghettification. But they go, for, they go very slowly. Okay, they have a normal world that looks looks normal to us, just so mm-hmm. we can understand, like a bad fifty yeah. science fiction show. If your feet and your that would just be weird. That's right. It would be weird. So some uh, some things would be weird but trivial, right? Like my fingernails grow faster than my toenails, right? That's that's uh, that's weird, but it's not really going to affect my life in any way, right? But another thing to think about along the lines of our, our previous conversation is that, you know, when I walk, my legs and feet are moving because of nerve signals sent from my brain. 
And those are happening at a certain, a certain pace, a certain rhythm that my brain says, this is the correct rhythm to walk at. Right. But by the time, but if my feet are experiencing the flow of time differently than, my, than the nerves signals being sent from my brain, then what seems to be the right rhythm for my brain is not going to be the right rhythm for my feet. Right. Actually, okay. I could totally... Did that make sense? Yeah. In fact, in fact, let, I'll go back to a, a much more simple concept, which is that the brains, there's a bunch of creatures. It's exactly like ours. They evolved, but these creatures, these humanoid creatures, humans evolved with slower brains. That's all we need, right? Yeah. And so... Okay, that's fine. Yep. Right. In fact, it would be like you send a message to your feet and then you wait for them to move. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you would get used to that. And then it kicks, yeah. Yeah, you would get used to that that rhythm. The talking would be bizarre, mm-hmm. though. They, You'd have to wait. Yeah. Things would be very slow. That's right. There, there's no point in trying to rush anywhere in that system. Right. right? Because rushing is going to get you smashed into a wall or falling off a cliff or something. Oh, right. So, that, well, okay. That is the right, we, we, which is something we started back earlier. As you're moving, you are actually, okay, this is totally weird, right? Now I'm getting it. You are moving. Your body is actually not in the place that you're looking ever, unless you stay still. So, as soon as I'm moving, like if I'm walking, okay. if I'm walking towards a cliff, I will actually mm-hmm. be over the cliff before my brain realizes it. And so I will see myself walking uncontrollably <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> over the cliff. Like my legs will keep moving. And by the time I send the signal, it's too late. That's right. And you, that's right. You'll be screaming, stop, feet, stop. <laughs> and then when you hit the bottom, you'll probably feel it. You'll feel yourself get crushed before you see yourself hit bottom. <laughs> uh, this is scientists in sort of mid late 19th century when they first discover that nerve transmission speed is finite oh. Oh. Uh, that is that it takes a certain amount of time for a nerve signal to get back and forth turns out to be something like a tenth of a second and there's a lot of thinking that goes on about what it means that we experience the world with this tenth of a second delay a lot of it is is confronting these sorts of issues that we don't really notice it. You know, we're, we're used to it, but nonetheless, you can measure that delay and take advantage of it if you're so inclined. Wow, I imagine that must come in. I don't know, tenth of a second. I wonder if that comes into play, like when you're about to swing at a baseball or something like that. Now, yeah, exactly right. There's a certain degree of faith you mo- you move with a certain degree of faith that, or you've compensated for it somehow. Well, actually, you know where the baseball is going to be. You just have to get in the path. That's the that's the idea, right? Is you don't, yeah, you don't actually. Let's see here. You, you don't try to set it up at the moment that you realize the baseball is in the right place. Where is it going to be a tenth of a second from now? Right. These people might actually become brilliant. So these people phys- would have their own sports. <laughs> tell me about those. Right. Tell um, me about those. I mean, sports. they would. I'm sure they would have. They'd have a version of baseball, and to them, it would be totally thrilling. To us, it would look like I don't know, 
toddlers throwing things back and forth or <laughs> because they'd be they'd be swinging extremely slowly right they we'd see them start the swing looks like way way too early and then everybody uh, everybody in the stands gasping in anticipation even as to us it's totally obvious whether or not they're going to hit the ball <laughs> uh, so here, what's what are some other sports they might do? I mean, you know, downhill skiing would also be uh, very leisurely and gentle. From our point of view, from them, it's still super exciting. Yeah, like they'd always be waiting to see how it turned out. <laughs> Did I? Oh, I missed the tree. Thank goodness. That's right. There must be a lesson from film editing here, right? There's a, you know, the, the speed of cuts you're used to versus the speeds you're seeing. I don't know, something like that. Oh, that's interesting. You know, one thing it does make me think of is getting back to the Space Science Building at Cornell. Mm-hmm. Steven Squires is right at Cornell. Isn't the Mars Rover program is a partnership between Cornell? I'm sorry. And the Mars. Uh, yes, I think that's right. And JPL, I think. And JPL, right? And so those guys who are piloting so to speak driving the mars rover have now there's a 20 minute delay so in fact this is why the rover has to be semi-autonomous but Mm -hmm. if they really tried to drive it live then or or even i I wonder if i think the russians you know the russians didn't the russians have the first lander or at least the first rover on the moon I think they had an early. I wonder if they drove it. I think they must have driven oh, it. They didn't have. I feel like. I don't. I don't know if they had a rover, but maybe intact lander. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But but you're exactly right that the the Mars the Mars rover is precisely this problem. So the temptation might be to you know look at the image coming back from the rover and you know hit the accelerator and turn left or whatever it is. But unless nothing changes. That, that even you know you turn left and you see there's a rock there that you didn't see before, then it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. So my guess would be that NASA sat down and crunched numbers on this. Well, what's the best speed at which to drive when you've got a several minute delay in seeing? Exactly. And so I'm just I just looked it up. Yes, the the Russians did have a rover. I'm looking to see if they drove it. Oh, good. Okay. Yes, Lunokhod, terrible pronunciation, but L-U-N-O-K-H-O-D. Lunokhod 1 was the first remote-controlled rover ever to land on another celestial body. The wheeled vehicle was carried to the lunar surface by a spacecraft called Luna 17, touching down in the Sea of Rains on November November 17, 1970. Attempts to contact the rover after the lunar night... Oh, wow. It, it lasted from November 17th, 1970 to September 14th, 1971. So it went, it lived for a year. This thing, they, uh, they must have lived, you know, they lived with a three second delay as they drove around. So two things we learned today. One, that Skype issues are a challenge and that we could have a, maybe we could have like a telephone right. backup. And, uh, okay. And, and and that Skype troubles are a, a useful metaphor for the speed of light. That's true. <laughs> That's true. 
All right, man. But I, I love, I got to say, I look forward to this all week. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> nice chatting with you. Okay. Cool. All right. Take care, man. See ya. Farewell. <laughs>